All right, so we are going to finish off the first chapter of John. First chapter of John. Only took us one month, so we should be done with this in about a year. So, we're going to be in verses 35 through 51. 35 through 51, closing out this chapter. All right, I'm going to read these verses real quick. In some ways, it sounds like a lot. In some ways, it doesn't sound like a lot. But I think once we start talking about it, we'll kind of see how that goes. So, starting with verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with with two of his disciples. And he looked up at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day he decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Peter said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good be from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we have four people here, essentially. John the Beloved is believed to be one of the person in here that's listed without a name. But of the people who are named, we have four people, four ways of the many that there are to God. And that'll make sense in a little bit here. The four ways in which people come to God when they come to Jesus. We have Andrew, we have who would be named Peter, we have Philip, and we have Nathaniel. So I want to talk about each of these people individually here for a minute and how they came to Jesus. So Andrew comes to Jesus in part due to the preaching of John the Baptist. This shows the importance of preachers. 
that biblical preachers such as John the Baptist lead people to the truth. Now, there's a lot that can be said of preachers, of the requirements that are involved for them, of the the judgment that is put upon preachers because they have further responsibility. But I don't know how long I'll do this. Maybe it'll be another two minutes. Maybe it'll be another ten years. But what I hope is that when you do remember back, even with all my flaws, which are many if we want to list them, that hopefully I've pointed you in a biblical direction, hopefully I've pointed you to Christ every time we sit up here on Sunday. Uh, Because that is the goal. That is my goal. And I believe that is the goal laid out in Scripture, such as what John did for Andrew here. So John was constantly saying, here is the Lamb of God. And Simon heard him. And so when he did finally see Jesus, he said, I'll see you later, John. I'm going with this guy. This is the guy you were telling me about. I'm with him. So he goes with the one, the only one who can take away sin. He follows Jesus. And Jesus knows when a soul is longing for him, because if you notice, he turns to him. He turns to him. Jesus knows when a person is longing to be with him. And he says, behold, John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Like you said, this is the most important thing that, that appeared to be on John's mind all the time. Every time he saw Jesus, this is what he said. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Also in this, he directs them to come and live with him. It's not enough to just turn to Christ when we need him. It's not enough to just go to him when we are longing for something that we are short of in this world. Christ is saying, come and lodge with me, come and live with me. That's a 24-hour, seven days a week, 365 kind of deal. And when we see his lodging, we know that he wasn't living in a castle. He wasn't living in some extravagant circumstance. And so we know that that is not what the Christian life is about. We know that we're not going to be all about the worldly gain when we come to Christ. We know it's about the peace that we get from him, the reassurance of salvation that cannot be pulled from us by anybody, the adoption into the family of God. So in the discourse between the soul and Christ, it is Christ who begins it. When He asks you, what are you seeking? It's not just a casual question that He asked of them. It's not just a casual question that He asks of us. He asks us, what do we seek both in the short term and in the long term? Do we have a real desire for the Lord? Or is it just a Sunday thing that we do so that we can say that we are Christian? Or is Christ filling that gap in our heart and in our soul that only He can do? Have we put Him there and do we worship Him? (laughs) And like I said, when when He saw Simon, I'm sorry, Andrew, He did invite them with Him. He didn't send them back to John. He didn't send them back to a preacher. He said, come to be with me. 
Okay, that is our long-term goal. That is the only goal. So he asks, what is the desire? And so that is what we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis. At some point during the day, it's really good for you to ask yourself, what are you seeking? What do you desire? Because it will show who you're serving. Are you serving mammon? Are you serving the world? Are you serving Christ? And it's between you and God. It's nobody else's business. So they stayed with him all that day because they were seeking him. Now, Peter comes to Christ in part because of the witness of his brother. His brother wanted Peter, wanted Simon at the time, to meet Jesus Christ. Now this is something, obviously we've talked about a lot. This is in the same way that he wanted his brother to come and meet Christ. That is the same desire that all Christians should have, especially of their family. Not limited, but especially. Who doesn't want their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers to come to Christ? To tell them about who it is that they have come to know, especially when a new convert comes to the faith and they have all that zeal. They want to share it with people and they should want to. Or do they come to them and go, hey, I started going to this church. It's pretty cool. You know, it gets me out of the house on Sundays. People are pretty nice. There's a difference between that and wanting to share Christ because you know the salvation that is involved when you come to Him. That's what was going on here when Peter had his brother drag him to Christ, essentially, to say, look, look who we have found. This is how most people come to the faith when you look at it historically. There were preachers, there were evangelists, and they proclaimed Christ and people listened. It's not enough to just say, oh, the Bible is available in all these stores. It's the most printed book of all time. They'll get around to it when they get a chance. You have to tell somebody. We have to tell somebody. Everybody needs an Andrew. Whether or not they accept it, that's on them. But everybody needs an Andrew to tell them the good news. So here Jesus tells Simon, he says, your name is going to be Peter, which we also know is a way of saying stone. So this is a sign of how adoption into the family of God changes us. And it points to the direction that we have to attain, that we should want to attain in the the manner of our faith, that we want it to become a rock, that we want it to become a stone. Some people would say that Peter was called called rock because of his hard-headedness or because of maybe his determination after Pentecost. It really depends on how you look at this, but I think that it is pointing towards the fact that Peter would come to the point where he had a steadfast faith that was not a squishy faith. It was like a rock. And when the world would start pushing, he would push right back with godly principles. That's what we are looking for. So Philip comes to Christ from a direct call from Jesus. Jesus tells Philip, follow me. And Philip did follow him. Jesus found him, 
told him to follow him, and Philip answered the call. Now, some people here in this congregation, some people listening to this online, were one of these people where Christ called you and you immediately answered. And if that is the case, God bless you because you missed a lot of hardship. You avoided a lot of that when you answered that call directly to Christ. But this doesn't just end with God's earthly ministry where Christ was on the earth. It continued, and we see in John later, which we'll cover at a, at a later time here, but in John 12.32, Christ talks of this where He said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. So Christ is calling all people. Christ is calling to everyone if they will listen. The question is if they will listen. Now this simple statement where Philip followed. Philip followed. This is, in its, in its very short dialogue, a, an example of the Christian life. It's an example of the Christian life because in following Christ, we devote ourselves to His Word. We devote ourselves to His conduct. We devote ourselves to Him, to His path. And Philip was able to do all this without going to seminary. Philip was able to do all this without going through catechism. He just decided to follow Christ. It's that easy. It's that easy when the faith is there. That's a very interesting way that Philip came to Christ because it's so hard, I believe, to do for a lot of people, including myself. Now, let's talk about Nathaniel for a second here. Nathaniel's the big one here. Nathaniel comes to Christ in the face of prejudice. Yes, he was prejudiced in a way. Not in the way that we think of prejudice. But in his personal encounter with Christ, he sees that his prejudice was wrong. He was invited by Philip. So Philip is already evangelizing, saying, come and see. Come and see Christ. And what, is, what does Nathaniel say? He says, can anything good be from Nazareth? Now, I'm not an expert on Nazareth by any means, but from what I do know, Nazareth was a small town, maybe a couple hundred people at most. Some people say it might have been a bit of a ghetto, okay? So if you were from Nazareth, you didn't have a good reputation. It wasn't a boasting point to say, this is where I come from. But everybody in their titles, they would be Carlos from Hemingford or such and such. So you had to say who, where you were from, and for some people, this was a point of shame, apparently. So... Nathaniel rightly goes, well, what good is going to come from Nazareth? So he responds with a prejudice because he's not seeing that God can work wherever he wants to work. So this is also an example of bad information of how bad evangelizing can hurt the people that you are speaking to if you don't come to them with truth. Because where was Jesus from? Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. So they didn't know. They didn't have the right information. 
They said, hey, this guy from Nazareth, this is the son of God. And rightly, some people are like, well, are you sure? Because we don't know of anything good out of, out of Nazareth. And the scriptures say that that's not where the Messiah would come from. So Nathaniel was not just being a bigot about Nazareth, or maybe he was. It's one of two scenarios. Either he was reading the scriptures, which it sounds like he was somebody who did, and said, well, the Messiah can't come from there. How can this even be? I don't believe it. Or maybe there was a little bit of that tainted view of the city as well. So this is what was going through Nathaniel's head as he's told, come and meet the Christ. And this is why, like I said, good information is needed. People need to know God when they evangelize for Him. So, he objects. He objects rightly so for at least a minor part here. But he didn't just object and walk away and go, I don't believe you. I don't need to hear about this right now. I don't, I'm busy. got better things to do. He came and saw. He came and checked it out for himself. He would examine it himself. He would meet this man. And Christ says as he comes up, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Meaning that this is somebody who doesn't lie to your face. This is somebody not with a facade of who he is. He's showing exactly all of his colors. And he's also a true Israelite, meaning that he is sincere in the faith. He's studying the scriptures. And he has no deceit towards man or God. So Christ really gave him quite the compliment, even though Nathaniel did not exactly return the favor in the beginning there. Now this was also possibly for the Pharisees to see because they were not the true Israelites anymore. And Christ is saying, look, here is a true Israelite. Somebody who really seeks after God. And he tells him, he says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, when I first read this a long time ago, I thought he meant he was just sitting under a fig tree. And he could have meant that. We have to be honest and say that he could have meant that. But back in that time, like I said, society's different. Words change. Uh, the things that you say, sayings change. To say that somebody was under the fig tree also was, ver was verbiage that meant somebody was meditating on God's Word. I don't know why it meant that, but it did. So, when he said this to, to Philip, I'm sorry, to Nathaniel, was he saying, hey, I saw you earlier today or yesterday when you were under the fig tree? Was he saying, hey, when you had that major revelation recently when you were reading my word, I was with you, I saw you? It could have been either of these, perhaps both. Maybe Nathaniel had a major breakthrough in his relationship with God and Jesus said, hey, I was there with you. Very well could have been the case. <clears throat> so, that is, the, that is a major point when we're reading this, is that Nathaniel had great discernment because he was under the fig tree, because he was constantly in God's Word, seeking God. And that's why he had these questions when Christ came up. He didn't just automatically accept Him as the Messiah. He asked a question. So Christ tells him, you're going to see greater things than this. Now, Christ was talking directly to Nathaniel here. Was he talking to Nathaniel 
only? Was he saying this to him for us? Probably a little bit of both. But we know that he says to him, Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these. So if you know me just through the meditation, you're going to see my ministry. You're going to, re- you're going to hear my word. You're going to hear all of these things and see all these miracles that I have to do. That's why when we come to know Christ, when we come to know Him on the cross, it doesn't end right there. We know that we will eventually see Him on His throne when we cross the veil. But even before then, when we come to Christ, our life changes and things are revealed as we go through our life. Greater things come to us. Greater things are revealed to us. So the Gospel is a treasure in that way because it's constantly revealing something new, something greater, because God is not limited in the great things that He can do for us. So He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this may be connected to Genesis in chapter 28, verse 12. Let me find it real quick here. Where speaking of Jacob, it says, And he dreamed a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching heaven, and God's angels were going up and down on it. He possibly could have been referring to this. Perhaps Jesus was referring to how he would be the mediator between earth and heaven. Or that in the relation with this mediation of what he, what he saw under the fig tree, that there would be new meaning here. So a lot of people say that it was probably, probably talking of Christ's transfiguration, which Nathaniel would be witness to. But others have said maybe it's the second coming. It's kind of a vague thing that he says to Nathaniel here. And what you think that it means... Uh, I think we could probably ask a couple different people and get a couple different answers. But all of those things are possible. But we do know that Christ is now our mediator between earth and heaven. That's why He had to come down to take, take on a body. Now, Nathaniel calls Him the Son of God. He is immediately putting Him on high. He's immediately raising Christ up. Christ comes back, if you notice in the narrative, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So He doesn't repeat what Nathaniel says. He says the Son of Man. He shows Nathaniel that although, yes, Nathaniel, you are right in calling me Son of God, He's linking, and if you ever get a chance to read Daniel 7, He's referring back to Daniel 7. And he's showing his humility in what he's done already just by taking on a body, but also what he will do. He's showing his humanity, which he has added to his deity by taking on a body. And he's showing the the humiliation of what's going to come. What we read just earlier for for the communion. No water, thank you. So as we said in the beginning here, we saw four people. We saw four ways that they came to Christ. You may not have come to Christ in these ways, and that is okay. Maybe you had one or two of them. 
Some of us need a little more work. I heard the preaching of John the Baptist in my life, not from him specifically, obviously, but I heard many people te- uh, preaching these things, preaching the gospel to me, and I said, no thanks, I don't need that. I'm a little busy. I've had close witnesses with people, people who were very close to me in my earlier years, who told me of Jesus, and I said, I'm, uh, I don't really need that nonsense right now, i got other things going on, can you leave me alone? So, I made the blasphemous biases. I, any objection that somebody has made about Christ, any slander, I have said it. And I have, uh, although I shouldn't, I have extreme shame for the things that I have said. Uh, and we continue to mess up as we go through life because nobody's perfect and we repent. But, I was anchored in rebellion, so I did not answer any of those calls. But it was when He made His call to me when I heard his call that I knew immediately, and maybe this was how it was for you, maybe this is how it's been in your life, but I knew immediately when I heard his call that, oh man, I'm in trouble and I need him now or everything is going to go down and down and down and I have no future. Not just in the cross, but on my daily life. So maybe that's how you came to Christ. Christ puts up with a lot of things from us, especially me, when we stop listening to His Spirit. But we know, based on the Scriptures and based on our experiences in the Gospel, that He has grace upon grace and that we repent of these things. So God blesses us. Some of us with that quick route. Some of us, we take the long road, get a few bumps on our head for doing it. But He blesses us with choice. He loves us with His work on the cross. And He calls us to Him all the time if we will listen to Him. If we will listen. Nobody is forced into heaven kicking and screaming. So at the end of this day, when you go and you're closing down for the night, I ask you to maybe say a little prayer. Okay? A prayer for those who have not come to Christ, that do not know the ease and the glory of living in His his path. And to also pray for yourself, that you would have, that I would have, that everyone here would have the boldness to proclaim Him to the people that we encounter in our lives. To be able to proclaim the victory that He brings, because the world is yearning for it every day. Every day.